0: Good afternoon dear, dear fellow wayfarers How you doing out there in the silence? How's your heart? I want to offer a couple of reflections this afternoon. I'm not completely sure which pieces at this point, but there's a couple of things I'd like to offer into your, to your afternoon. One is a reflection about wise view. Right view. As I'm sure probably all of you know, this is in the Buddha, Buddhist map, the map that we have, heads up the path. And actually, I think that's just common sense also. Our view, our view of life, our view of ourselves, our view of reality, our view of what we're doing here shapes our intention, our action, our effort, our energy informs our meditation, our mindfulness, our concentration. So I just want to take a little look at wise view because based on our view is how you come and sit, what you're sitting for. Based on our view is how we treat ourselves as we walk into the meditation hall and take our seat I just want to put that there for a moment one of the ways of understanding wise view commonly spoken about as understanding the understanding of cause and effect understanding that there is action and there is result of action If we really look at that, and we can look at it on the intellectual level, this is a really important level to look at it, on, at, everything you do or don't do has an effect on everything else. Everything affects everything else. Just see what happens to your heart when I say that. I hear it and go, oh, blimey. It's a big responsibility, isn't it? It's like, mm. Right? But if we follow it, if we don't seize upon it as, you know, more evidence of, oh, my goodness, I've done all these terrible things and I haven't done enough good things and, right? Be really careful around it. Let's hold this together. This is, we're looking, we're taking a look. Practice isn't about being perfect, thank God. One teacher says, actually, uh, I think it's Charlotte Yoko Beck, she says, to be awakened is to be without anxiety about imperfection. So let's just get that straight. (laughs) Okay. All right, it's not about being perfect. If we can take the... um, if we can look at this together, rather than trying to perfect myself or get myself right, usually coming from a wrong view, and probably many of you have tried to get yourself right, right, fix you so that you're apparently going to be more what? More acceptable, more lovable, more... Right, it's all from a, a wonky view. We need to look... we need to strip it back to the beginning of the path we really look at this with um, kind eyes we see that this another way of understanding right view is that this we you everything actually is an open system everything is an open system Everything that arises here on the inner affects the outer. Everything on the outer affects the inner. The causes and conditions that have brought us to this point, our history, our ancestry, our nation, our... All the causes and conditions are unraveling, ripening, having effects. All the things going on out in the world as we call it have an effect we are an open system we can see it on a technical level and i think it science understands this also very well you know this theor- these theories that are put in layperson's language of you know what is it the butterfly flaps its wings in denbury and it has an effect causes some uh, effect in the, uh, the currents, or it can cause a wave in China, however that is put. Right? That's understood. How is it if we consider that this is an open system? That actually realization, where the Buddha is pointing to, actually, is that he or she, or that being, has completely relaxed about around the fact that they are an open system. Ah, that's how it is to rest back into the nature of things. We know it on the level of body. It's easy to see that this breath that you breathe, it's not yours. It belongs to the totality, the air in your lungs. It's really obvious on that level, isn't it? And yet we can be there as we're sitting with my breath, my body, my narrow, my shallow breath, my deep breath, my wrong breath, my right breath, and it gets fraught, fraught. The level of food of eating doesn't take much reflection to know that what we're putting in this hole here is sourced actually if we look deeply you can see that it's sourced by everything and there's no better I think description of this than from the teacher Thich Nhat Hanh. if you know him I'm sure many of you do he's very good at this piece you look into the food we see the sun and the rain and the farmer and the grain and the birds and the fertilization and the earth and the soil and the tractor and the, and the parents of the guy that drives the tractor and it doesn't take long to see that breathtaking, it's all here, I put this inside my mouth, it nourishes this body. There is no closed system on the level of the physical, on the level of mental, you know. A lot of those ideas you've been having, <laughs> a lot of them aren't original, right? We've heard them before. Our parents, our teachers, the books we've read, even the great things we've looked at. And there might be in a kind of an original one once in a while... But even that has been contributed to by all of the causes and conditions of our life experience, the language we speak,
1: it's all there.
0: And the level of the heart, the feelings, the emotions. We know we're an open system. We're acutely sensitive to the information, the signals the looks, the impacts of those around us on our heart. So what would it mean to start each practice session as we walk in the hall? And maybe you do. But sometimes I would forget. I would come in this hall, this very hall here, and probably sit and sat in every single seat that you're sitting in at different times on retreat. Sometimes I'd come in that door, and it would be like, okay. Forgetting I was an open system, thinking that I had to get to work on myself. Thinking that I had to start revving myself, pumping myself up to get some energy, or sorting myself out. Or even, not even on a mental level, but energetically, starting to bear down on myself to get in line. From the wrong view, from the wrong view that I was a closed system, that I was something that had to fix myself, that I was something that had to enlighten myself, awaken myself. One who knows right view as an open system has seen the emptiness of inner and outer, has seen that there is no inner without the outer. There is no world out there without the inner and the mind that arises in relationship with the world moment to moment. One who sees wise view as the open system takes her seat in that moment in the meditation hall and sees and purifies the wrong view. We'll see them. Any of you ever come to sit and just want the world to go away? Any of you ever sit and just to want to put an end to this messy, complex thing called self. Which is different than the love of cessation, the love of peace. Any of you ever sit there thinking, right, I'm going to do it <clears throat> this time. Any view of coming to practice based in the view of a closed system, and the language of closed system is I was, I'm going to be, I should have been, I ought to be, I'm never going to be, you're never going to be. The language of the closed system is me and you. What I'm going to become, what I shouldn't have been, All of that, if we come to take our seat, we can see that. Meet it kindly for what it is, which is the gnashings and the gnawings and the agitation and the pain of the one who has taken herself to be a closed system. See her, hear her, feel her. You don't have to become her. And when we do become her and we're practicing and two hours later we're hating everybody and everything and we're tired out, oh, oh, this isn't sacred anymore. This has lost its place at the altar. I've lost the seat of the open system, which is... it has a holistic quality to it doesn't mean we feel great all the time I don't think the Buddha felt great all the time that wasn't what he understood it meant he was no longer extracted from the totality into that painful separating lens of living inside the closed system. So one practical way then that you can practice with this, if it rings any bells, if it rings any bells, it's like subtly, it doesn't mean you've done it all wrong, it means we start to see the difference. Because actually if I come and take my seat in here and I close my eyes rigidly shut, wanting the world to go away and wanting to kind of get out of this mess called myself or whatever is the wrong view, Right. We can just open our eyes a little bit, let a little light in, take in the horizontal, take in all these other beings, reflect a little bit on who made the food, who brought the food. Feel that humility where we cannot extract ourselves one moment from everything that exists. Bring to mind those you love. Bring to mind your teachers. Bring to mind anyone who has ever illuminated the way for you, whether they're Buddhists or not Buddhists, whether they're people the world has heard of, whether they are not people the world has heard of. Bring in your... Fill out the color of the mandala that you are at the center of your loved ones, those who've loved you, those who've shown you the way, your parents, your teachers, for all their marvelousnesses and their faults and limitations. Lay them here. Let yourself sit in the systems that you belong in. They don't have to be perfect systems, that's not the point but they are part of what brought us here. And the more we can know that, the more we can make peace with that, and the more or the less we make our path about perfection, the more we relax. I'd like to read this sutta from the Buddha. Um, it's to Rohitasa, the Rohitasa Sutta. And it has a piece that's quite well known in it that many of you will probably recognize. But it's not often heard in its total, at least, I hadn't heard it in its whole framework for a long time. And this is a, tra- this, the Bhikkhu translated this one. And there's a word on the translation. He uses the wo- word cosmos, uh, sometimes translated as world. Um, or another way you can understand it is uh, the world that arises with the mind in the perception of the separation the self living in the constructed sense of separation right i am good bad right wrong beautiful ugly i am some kind of definition within this house On one occasion, the Blessed One was staying at Savati in Jetta's Grove, an Artapindika's monastery. Then Rohitasa, the son of a Deva, in the far extreme of the night, his extreme radiance lighting up the entirety of the grove, went to the Blessed One. On arrival, having down, bowed down to the Blessed One, he stood to one side. As he was standing there, he said to the Blessed One, Is it possible, great guide, by travelling to know or see or reach a far end of the world where one does not take birth, age, die, pass away or reappear? So that's the question. Is it possible by travelling to know or see or reach a far end of the cosmos where one does not take birth, age, die, pass away, or reappear. The Buddha replies, I tell you, friend, that it is not possible by traveling to know or see or reach a far end of the cosmos where one does not take birth, age, die, pass away, or reappear. It is amazing, great guide, he said, Roetissa said, and awesome how well that has been said by the Blessed One. I tell you, friend, that it is not possible by traveling to know or see or reach a far end of the cosmos where one does not take birth, age, pass away, die, or reappear. Roetissa says this, once I was a seer named Rohitasa, a student of Boja, a powerful skywalker, My speed was as fast as that of a strong archer, well-trained, a practised hand, a practised sharpshooter, shooting a light arrow across the shadow of a palm tree. My stride, stretched as far as the East Sea, is from the West. To me, endowed with such speed, such a stride, there came a desire, I will go travelling to the end of the cosmos." I, with a 100-year life, a 100-year span, spent 100 years travelling. And apart from time spent on eating, drinking, chewing and tasting, urinating and defecating and sleeping to fight off weariness, the kind of basics, but without reaching the end of the cosmos, I died along the way. So it is amazing, great guide and awesome, how well that it has been said by you that it is not possible by traveling to know or see or reach a far end of the cosmos where one does not take birth, age, die, pass away, or reappear. When this was said, the Buddha replied, I tell you, friend, yes, it is not possible I think you know this line by now, it is not possible by traveling to... you can fill in the gaps for those of you who don't know this is uh, taken obviously from an oral tradition so the repetition is very important right? it's not possible to do that thing we've been talking about but he says at the same time I tell you that there is no making an end of suffering and stress without reaching the end of the cosmos He says, yet it is just within this fathom-long body with its perception and intellect that I declare that there is the cosmos, the origination of the cosmos, the cessation of the cosmos, and the path of practice leading to the cessation of the cosmos. It is not to be reached by traveling The end of the cosmos regardless and it's not without reaching that the end of the cosmos that there is the release from stress and suffering so truly the wise one an expert with regard to the world a knower of the end of the world having fulfilled his practice calm knowing the end does not long for this cosmos or any other Yet it is just within this fathom-long body with its perception and intellect that I declare is the origin of the world, the cessation of the world, and the path to the cessation of the world. So right here as you sit, and you may or may not like the language of the end of the world, it can sound a little odd sometimes in English, but the end of the suffering and stress. That's what he means. The world that arises with a sense of separate self and other. Right here in this fathom long body with its perception and intellect. So how do we do that? First, as you take your seat, as you go out to walk, check the view check the view what are you doing this for if you're doing it to know the end of suffering and stress the awakening that means taking your stand as you walk out there knowing that you're part you are an open system eyes a little bit open Let in the world around you. Notice if you want to shut it out. Let yourself feel the impact of the air and the sound of the birds and the coldness and the freshness and the night sky and the beings that cough in here and the beings that move and wriggle. Plant yourself firmly in the middle of that, in the middle of this. And within this then we can see the origin of the world and the cessation but if we're tightening down and narrowing down to do my practice so I get somewhere we haven't planted ourselves in the nature of things the view is a little wonky Come back to the view, widen out, belong to everything you belong to, even if you don't feel it always, bring it to mind. Just a word about perception and intellect. I spoke a lot about body in the beginning of this retreat. So those of you who arrived on Saturday, please remember this fathom long body. Do that work, put in the work of re-inhabiting, landing in your feet, feeling the foot as it touches the earth out there feeling your bum on the seat filling out breath by breath the flesh and the bones with this raw unvarnished living present that we are do that work and if we're looking at the arising of the world the rising of the separate sense of self so want to say we can look usefully at three areas where we often take and I'm not giving a comprehensive overlay overview here but we often take our mind states as a basis for self don't you right? The mind states that arise, the moods, the emotions, the atmospheres, the feelings, we often lean upon them as a basis for knowing ourself. And from the Dharma perspective, they are not self, they are not who you are. The lovely moods, the painful moods, the contracted moods, the gritty moods, the scratchy moods, the radiant, luminous. This guy, Rohitissa, he, you know, I think he had pretty wide moods. He could sort of span. He was a child of one of the angels. I think they have like slightly more, they have less clunky versions of mind states, apparently. However you want to take that. Whether you Believe that isn't the point. The point is when our mind is a little more refined. The mind states are more refined. Right. We can look at three areas the Vedana, which I spoke about last week, that contact of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. There's the Vedana. The perception which in dharma language means the meaning we make out of something in the initial contact. And the third, the mental activity or the way the intellect often gets limited to spin around familiar topics. Okay. Mind states, there is a contact. So when we're slow enough here in our practice, we can see this const- the way the world constructs here. Think of an example. Might ha- be happening right now. I suspect there's all kinds of mind states happening. So I'll give an example of um, from myself. Sometimes in a periods of long retreats, when I would hear a talk, come into the room and hear a talk, many things could happen, all kinds of mind states, but one particular one would happen for a period of getting very irritated by um, actually anyone, really, but especially people that were talking, <laughs> especially the teachers, right? Because it wasn't just hitting the spot right right and it took a while to see that actually really a while i thought it was about them my irritation it seemed really lightly cuz if they would stop then the promise would be of peace again it's like that lo- and it's beautiful the longing for the silence it is beautiful but we have enough silence so we can see this way we make the world right so after some time of using my intellect in a rather limited way, which was blaming, judging. (laughs) Uh, She's like this, he's like this. Why can't they get it right? I prefer those other ones. Mm -hmm. At a certain point, oh, there's dukkha. Okay, I remember, that's it. Okay, How how do you meet that? So the perception there was the contact would be the ears and the eyes, seeing the teacher, hearing whatever they were saying, contact with the ears. But of course there's a lot of sensitivity from being silent for so long. And Sometimes, whatever it was, there would be an unpleasant contact through the listening, right? Unpleasant contact. There's the vedna right there, unpleasant. The perception is... The immediate sense I make of the situation could be a number of things, but it's the immediate sense I make of the situation, which is in that case I don't like her. Quite basic really, aren't we? (laughs) Right. Don't like her. That's the immediate sense. Then the intellect gets busy. The mental activity spins around that. She shouldn't be. And uh, I really don't like it when they do this. And you know how Papancha goes, don't you? You know how it spins and cascades off of itself and then becomes a whole big web we've woven and we're inside, struggling and fighting with. And we think if they would just stop being there, I wouldn't have this web. Can I get interested in the web that's just gotten woven, that's just gotten constructed right there? Whoa. And you know, we know, the more I fight with that, they should be different, I should be different. The more I fight with that, the more stuck in the web I get. Right there, can I recognize where I am? The recognition is profound, the brightness of your awareness to see, oh, this is dukkha, this is suffering. I'm not alone here. I'm with many billion others right now who are somehow living within a construction of who and what they think they aren't reality is. It's not a mistake. It doesn't mean I've done something wrong. Can I recognize, oh, this is, this is Dukkha. As I take my stand there, the continuity is in the awareness, the recognition, rather than the continuity of self, which is spinning. Even the continuity of the self as the meditator. Come on, go back to the breath, try this, do that. Is like bouncing around in a pinball machine, trying to find a better self in that moment. Can the continuity be and the refuge be that bright seeing, oh, this is painful, this is dukkha, here's the one who believes that there's something wrong. As I stand there, it's rather like in the stream of water, where, like in Dartmoor, the, the, the rivers are coming down the stream. At the edges of the water sometimes you get these eddies where the water is spinning round itself and the leaves get caught and the sticks get caught and it gets all frothy on top. And if you get caught in one of them, it's actually... It is suffering. Right? Can I stand with my feet in the river right there and as I take my place once again in the open system, the leaves and the sticks and the detritus have a bigger field to move around in. Widening my awareness, softening the attention, coming out, opening the eyes, planting myself into this wide sphere that I belong to. And we usually feel the pain it will register recognizing where we are allowing intimate this is not me this is not mine this is not myself and as the continuity is in the awareness the eddy relaxes and we take our place again right here unvarnished living Of the reason that I <coughs> brought in the theme of the open system is because I wanted to let to do something to end this talk today, um, and just to let you know, um, that, um, last week, and actually, those of you who came on Saturday will probably may know this, but last week, one of the beloved Dharma teachers of uh, this era, Thich Nhat Hanh for whom, some of you, he's probably a key teacher. Sorry, right, he hasn't died, don't worry. I'll fill, fill the sentence in. He hasn't died. But um, he had a brain hemorrhage last week, a very serious brain hemorrhage. And it, it did look a little touch and go. And he's still in a serious condition in hospital, but he's stabilized now. And the doctors are with him and said there's uh, every chance he can make a recovery. Um, But he is elderly, and it was a serious, uh, serious impact, this hemorrhage. So we wanted to let you know that. Because for some of you, probably for all of us, whether we know it or not, he's going to have been an influence. He's going to have been one of the great teachers. Whether it's that we've even heard of him, but just because of his influence in this era. Um, and for some of others of you, he'll be very close in your heart. So we wanted to let you know. And what was very beautiful in the Plum Village, uh, where he where he lives and resides in France, he um, his community have put out the news and letting us know what's happening. And they say uh, they say a number of things. One is keep practicing. That that will help. <laughs> That, that's what will help, but also if you would like to chant the chants that they do often in Plum Village, an Avalokiteshvara chant for him, um, for his recovery and well-being uh, of holding him and all that he's brought, all our gratitude or um, appreciation for what he's really brought to the Dharma in these last 60 years or so of his life. So, for those of you who don't know him, he's a Vietnamese, originally from Vietnam. Vietnam, Dharma teacher from the Zen tradition, um, uh, lives in France now, and has has brought his his own particular um, gift to Dharma. Being someone, I would say, who really seems to embody, with an incredible gentleness, the understanding of the open system, right? There is no inner without the outer, no outer without the inner. His understanding of the depth of where mindfulness and investigation can take us and the social-political, which he never shied away from, and and really worked with the atrocities of what his people had suffered through particularly the 60s and the 70s and working with all of that really closely, really closely. So quite a gift and a, someone who's really illuminated the way for many of us. So um, some of you will know this chant, but I'll teach it to you. And if you'd like to chant for Thai, is how... They call him affectionately. Um, And if he's not someone that you know, he will have been someone your teachers have been influenced by, somewhere along the line. So, I think just before the chant, I'll read one of his poems. So, for those of you who don't know him, this is one of his tiny picture. You can hardly see it on the front. Um, And the book is called, Please, it's called Call Me by My True Names. So he's worked with this perception of contact, perception and intellect to not freeze around it such that all the things we take ourselves to be and get stuck on, he's gotten wider and included them all, it seems. So I'll read this in his honour for the gift that he's brought to um, this era of Dharma teachings, and then we'll chant together. Please call me by my true names. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today, I am still arriving. Look deeply. Every second I am arriving to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am a mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river. And I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am a frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pool. And I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks. And I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12-year-old girl refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands. And I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people, dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so that I can hear all my cries and laughter at once, so that I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so that I can wake up and the door of my heart could be left open the door of compassion. The words to this chant are Namo Valo Kiteshvara Namo Valo Kiteshvara So it's it's Avalokiteshvara chant. Avalokiteshvara is (laughs) one of these bodhisattvas of multiple arms um, uh, a representation of Compassion, that which can meet and touch the suffering of the world, whether it arises internally or externally, doesn't matter. Same, su- same suffering. And the multiple arms are like an imaginative way of saying there are many ways that suffering is touched and met. When we find more and more of our intelligence that's available, So this is namo, homage to this quality of compassion, to the guidance of compassion that is at the heart of our heart. As we unfold the layers of cobwebs and houses and defences and structures and obscurations, this is what we find we all have in common, this beautiful heart. so so it goes like this it's got three lines and I'll do this up and down part and then we'll get it and then we can hold it hold tie in our hearts
1: because
0: so that last one I know it's not a singing lesson but the last one has got three on that low note before we go up okay so holding tie and holding whatever else comes in any of those places of Dukkha which he so beautifully points to the wisdom and the compassion which is how we unfold both wings not just the penetration beautiful the illumination that cuts through and the wide 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 arms where well, we don't have to be any different than what's here okay <laughs> No.